What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can get us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. I want to thank uh, Evan Marinovsky for uh, coming on Guest Friday last week. It was a great conversation. Hopefully, folks enjoyed that. Um, if you haven't listened to it, uh, you can go find it on the aforementioned uh, sites or uh, Apple Podcasts or uh, Spotify. Um, so that was a great conversation uh, with Evan. We got another uh, great conversation coming up this week, uh, as you may have noticed with the uh, social pages, which you can follow on Twitter and Facebook. I may have noticed that we do have a uh, Celtics conversation this week as training camp gets underway. I believe that today is actually the first official day of training camp for uh, the Celtics, we will get into the Celtics, obviously, uh, today, you know, I think for for better or for worse, you know, I think it's kind of unfortunate the amount of um, uh, negative attention that the team has received, you know, but we'll get into all that. Um, but obviously, first, it's uh, first and foremost, you know, it's football season and the Patriots are kind of uh, on everyone's mind. Um especially after that uh, very frustrating loss to uh, Baltimore the other day, you know, in multiple ways. Um, you know, I think that that's where we're going to start today. Um, doing a lot of Patriots, we'll do a lot of Celtics. There's plenty of Bruins stuff as well. So it might be a pretty long episode today, but I would hope that uh, you folks stay with me or, you know, stay through whatever teams you are interested in. I'm always um, willing to uh, take any comments from anyone if there are any topics that you want me to focus more on or if there are other, you know, teams or things you would like for me to uh, focus on. Please don't hesitate to uh, let me know on any of the uh, social platforms. So, you know, obviously getting into this Ravens game, you know, I said that uh, last week, you know, I wasn't terribly concerned with this offense and the things that they could potentially do against this Ravens defense that had a really tough time um, against Tua and the Dolphins two weeks ago or a week ago. And I really thought that, you know, you saw some positives in what the Patriots did on offense in this game. You know, the playbook got opened up a lot more. Um, and I don't know if that's what happened, you know, or if the Patriots realize that, okay, this is a Baltimore defense that you can take advantage of with some deep throws down the field. And, you know, Devontae Parker finally broke through, had probably one of his best games that he's had in a couple years. You know, I do think that, yes, it had a little bit to do with Baltimore's, you know, I don't think they were depleted, just the secondary that's had a tough time this year. Um, that the Patriots could take advantage of that. But also, Jacoby Myers was not available for this game. So the Patriots really were forced to have to try to get the ball down the field. Um, and for the most part, they were able to do that. You know, they were able to do it pretty successfully. You know, I think that you've seen in the first three games that they have gotten better offensively each week. There have been areas that they've greatly improved. You know, you saw... Week one to week two, the offensive line gave Mac Jones a lot of time to throw. Week two to week three, they were working down the field a lot more. They got Devontae Parker involved. You know, Kendrick Bourne got a couple more receptions. 
And I think that, you know, you saw the offense making improvements. You saw the running game continue to work. Ramondre Stevenson was really good. Damian Harris was really good. Um, and both guys, or uh, even Mac Jones on the ground, had, a, had, some, had some decent runs. You know, this team had 145 yards on the ground, 300 yards through the air, you know, 447 total yards. That should tell you that there are improvements in the offense, and I think that if there are positives to take out of that game, that's what the positives are, that, okay, they are starting to figure things out on offense, and I think that, you know, we can kind of stop stop talking about the alleged bad play calling, which I don't even think is a thing. I think that, um, and this is just something that has irritated me for the first couple of weeks, is that I think that, you know, there's a lot more negative attention that goes to who the play callers are based on their past performances, you know, and I just think that it's not fair. It's not exactly fair that for whatever reason, people don't like Matt Patricia, don't like Joe Judge. They think that they're bad coaches based on their bad head coaching records. And it's just like, it's kind of unbelievable that there are people that will not give them a chance and will say they're terrible coaches, they're terrible head coaches. Why are they, you know, calling plays and not even noticing that the offense is actually improving? And it's just unfortunate because I think we're going to continue to hear this the rest of the season. You know, obviously we'll get into Mac Jones and his injury, you know, which is unfortunate. But it's just like, I can't believe that people don't understand that just because you have a bad head coaching record doesn't mean that you're a bad coach. It's like, look at someone like Dan Campbell. He coaches the Detroit Lions. No disrespect to him because the Lions have honestly played good football this season. But you look at his head coaching record when he's coached. He's like 9-22. and 22. Does that make him a bad coach? I don't think so. It's like I actually think he's a decent up-and-coming coach. But it's like you can't just point at a record and say, oh, that's because, that's because the coach sucks. You know, and it's just one of the things I was thinking about yesterday is imagine if there was anyone else calling these plays. Would anyone care about what the offense looks like? And I think the answer is no. You know, Nick Haley, one of the Patriots coaches, um, is a tight end coach. Imagine if he was calling the plays. Would anyone around here complain about the play calling? I don't think so. If the Patriots hired someone that no one had ever heard of and they're running this type of offense, there would be no complaints. And so I think the point is you can't just have a personal bias against a person and be like, oh, the play calling sucks. And also, the people that say the play calling sucks, they have absolutely no evidence to suggest that it does. It's just people that complain about the result of the play rather than what the play is meant to do. And I just think that, look, plays go bad, but most of the time plays go bad because of bad execution. And it kind of blows my mind that people still can't understand that. Or perhaps they do, and they're just being willfully ignorant, but... It just blows my mind that people are still continuing to blame the play calling when you saw what they did on offense on Sunday, 447 yards. You really want to tell me that there's still, you know, so bad play calling that, you know, how do they get that many yards then? You know, so they just think that 
yes, it was a frustrating game, but the frustrating part of that game on Sunday was the mistakes by Mac Jones and Nelson Aguilar. You know, if you want to look to the interceptions that Mac threw, you want to look at the fumble that Aguilar had in the fourth quarter that was just a back-breaking blow for this team that really looked like they were going to have a very good chance to win the game. And I think that it just is too bad that you had too many turnovers and the turnovers cost you the game. And I think that that's really kind of the been the story of the two Patriot losses this season is too many just critical mistakes and high leverage situations. And I think that unfortunately it's something we've seen out of this team for the last couple of years. And I think that we have to understand that, look, this is a different football team than the Tom Brady Patriots. And look, let's be honest, those teams got all the breaks that you possibly could get. This team right now is not really catching breaks. You know, it's kind of going the other way. And I think that it's just, it's sports. It's football. Sometimes you're not going to get the breaks that you're used to getting. And I think that, you know, it just, it's just not falling the way that we normally expect them to. Um, and some of the mistakes are very self-induced. You know, Mac Jones had a couple of really bad mistakes on a couple of interceptions, um, you know, and then obviously the fumble by Aguilar. And look, it's the second fumble he's had in three games. And, you know, I think that a lot of people, including myself, are starting to wonder, okay, is he really, can he be relied upon late in games? Because now he's fumbled twice and he's fumbled in huge situations. You can't have that happen. And I think that there needs to be some type of, I don't want to say punishment because that's not the right word, but I think that there need to be some snaps that go or throws that go to other guys because it's just you can't have mistakes like that. Um, and Nelson's a guy that's been around. He's been in the league for a long time. He knows that, you know, he knows better than that, I think. There needs to be something that changes with him that, you know, whether it means someone else playing more snaps, um, because I think that honestly, for the most part, he's been a solid performer the first couple of weeks, but you can't have those mistakes. Um, and I just think that this is why the Patriots lost this game, because of bad mistakes by the offense has nothing to do with the play calling. Um, but I just think that, you know, we're seeing Mac Jones make more mistakes than he did last season. And I think that it's, you know, there it's fair to have some concerns about him. You know, I don't have concerns about him long term. You know, it could just be that, hey, it's his second year. Sophomore slump is a real thing. And maybe he's just having a hard time. And I don't think that it really has anything to do with the different system, the different play calling. I don't think that that's the issue. I just think that he's making a lot of bad decisions. And you know, it's, it's, it's critical, the mistakes that he's made. Um, obviously, it didn't really cost them much in Pittsburgh, but, you know, you had a real lot of really bad throws in that, in that Baltimore game. And, you know, I think this was the type of game that you had a chance to win. And it made you feel better about the offense that when you've seen, when you saw this team last year and they would fall behind by a decent margin, you were not confident that they were going to be able to come back. But I think you kind of saw them come back a little bit. Even with the critical mistakes that they had made, they still had the ball a couple times with a chance to take the lead. Um, 
you know, obviously there were turnovers that happened, but I think that you're seeing good things start to happen offensively. Now, unfortunately, you know, defensively, the Patriots couldn't do anything to stop Lamar Jackson. And, you know, it was just one of those games where the Patriots go up against an elite offensive player and you do the best that you can to contain him. But I think the Patriots, unfortunately, were a little bit shorthanded in this game. You know, no Kyle Duggar, no Raekwon McMillan. I think those guys were huge that when you're defending against a quarterback like Lamar Jackson that can run and has the ability to run for 100 yards in a game, you need to have as many fresh bodies as you can get. And the Patriots were down a couple of really key guys. So I'm not trying to say that injuries is why they lost, but I do think that if the Patriots had had Kyle Duggar on the field, perhaps they could have played a little bit better. Um, I do honestly think, though, that despite getting shredded up by Lamar Jackson, you know, the offense still had a chance to win this game. You know, and I think that's what's so frustrating, where the defense performed probably probably the worst that it's performed in a, in a couple of games, you know, if you go back to last season. And this was a chance that the offense could, you know, finally win the game. We felt like a lot of times the Patriots have had games in the last two years that the defense does everything it can to give the offense a chance. And it kind of almost was the other way around. You know, the offense was almost able to bail out the defense. And so I think, you know, it's just Lamar Jackson. He's just really, really good. You know, I clearly think that he is the front runner for MVP after that performance. He's just a ridiculously special player. And, you know, the Patriots really just had no answer for him. So, you know, hopefully the defense can get Kyle Duggar back and get Raquan McMillan back, you know, before the Patriots play another player like a Lamar Jackson. I don't think that that's going to be happening anytime soon. You know, you got Aaron Rodgers this week. You got Jacoby Brissett, who can run a little bit, but I don't think you're going to be seeing anyone with that type of running ability until you probably play, um, until you probably play Buffalo late in the year. So, you know, here's hoping by that point, the Patriots can be healthy and be better equipped. You know, I really thought that they were equipped uh, to deal with Baltimore's speed, but I just think that, uh, look, great players are great players. And I think that's just what happened. So I think now getting into kind of what's next for this team after this loss, you know, clearly the team is probably going to be without Mac Jones for a couple of games. That was kind of the report as he got dragged down in kind of an awkward way by Calais Campbell. Now, I don't think Calais is a dirty player. I think that he has a great reputation in this league. But if you watch the replay, it kind of seemed like it was a little unnecessary the way that he kind of dragged him down. It was a little bit late. I didn't really think that he needed to drag him down the way that he did. I was kind of surprised that actually there wasn't a penalty. But either way, um, if you're looking for kind of more information about the injury, there's really not much other than it's believed that he is uh, have he has been diagnosed with a high ankle sprain. That's according to sources that told Adam Schefter um, it could cause him to have surgery. Um, it sounds like he is likely to miss multiple games. Um, and he and the team are discussing options and the best way to proceed. You know, there's a video conference yesterday 
you know, taking it day by day, day to day, you know, really not revealing a whole lot. So you got you have to imagine that he will not be available against Green Bay, probably won't be available for the next few games. So obviously things change drastically because they think, you know, Brian Hoyer's the backup and, you know, we've seen him play a little bit, not really in high leverage games. I mean, really the last time anyone can remember was the game against Kansas City two years ago in which um, the game was moved because of COVID reasons. Cam Newton wasn't available to play. Um, and so Hoyer played a decent amount of that game in Kansas City, did get replaced by Jared Stidham. So that was really the last time that we saw Hoyer in game action. And so, you know, look, Brian Hoyer's a guy that's been around, you know, I think he's just kind of average for a quarterback. You know, obviously the Patriots never imagined that he was going to start a game. So, you know, I think that it's it's great that the team has confidence in him. You know, I think that he can still make most of the throws, but I do think that you're missing a, a pretty big amount of talent, you know, going from Jones to Hoyer. And so I think this is a Patriots team that's probably going to struggle to score points with Hoyer. Um, you know, I think that for this team, they can't be turning the ball over like they did, because if they do, they're not going to be winning many games. Um, you know, I think that it's going to be tough to have to perform uh, without Jones, who I think that, I think the offense was showing improvement. I think that he's been having some issues recently, and honestly, it may be good for him to sit on the sideline for a few games and just kind of, you know, take it all in and see what's going on. So, you know, obviously there's no report about, oh, he'll be out this amount of time. You know, chances are he could be going on injured reserve. Um, but I think that obviously we should all be paying attention to reports and, you know, anything, but cannot imagine that he was going to uh, play on Sunday against Green Bay. Uh, who knows? Crazier things have happened, but um, it could be, I think that what I understood is that it's not season ending. So, you know, that's at least good. But I think that this is a Patriots team that has to try to tread water um, for the amount of time that he's out. You know, I think that even with Brian Hoyer, this is still a team that can beat bad teams. And I think is still capable of winning games. They may not be able to beat Green Bay um, because the Packers are, you know, a really good football team. The Patriots might be able to keep it close Um because if we're being honest, Green Bay hasn't exactly looked like Green Bay in the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, and I think that this is a Patriots defense that coming off of a poor performance against Baltimore, they're going to really be out to be like, okay, that was not us. You know, that was not like us. We're going to have a better game. And the Green Bay offense is not really an offense that's going to be able to run with the quarterback. I mean, clearly Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are very good. They're one of the best one-two tandems of running backs in the league. But I think that this defense might actually hold its own. But again, it comes back to the offense. And I think that if they can move the ball effectively, don't turn the ball over, that's really as simple as it gets. And maybe they have a chance in this game. You know, who knows? Um, but I think that the expectations for this team probably need to be reset. Um, if Hoyer is going to be the quarterback, I think that they can still be somewhat competitive and beat bad teams, like I said. But I think that 
you know, if Mac Jones is going to be out for four or five games or even six games, you know, there's a chance that they could lose a lot of games. And I think, you know, clearly going into the season, we all kind of think that they're a playoff team and they should be. And I honestly think even after three games, you look at the AFC, there's not really a team that is unbeatable, you know, and even Miami, I don't even think that they're, I don't want to say I don't want to think that they're good because that's not right. But I do think that, okay, they came back from a, a huge deficit in Baltimore. I think they got a couple breaks to go their way against against Buffalo on Sunday and against the Patriots, too. So, you know, even that team, as much as they're 3-0, and I don't even think that they're, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else. Buffalo's beatable. I mean, you saw what happened week three. You know, they're kind of, they've lost a couple guys. You know, Micah hides out for the season. So I think this is an AFC that is wide open. And I think that if the Patriots can get some wins while Mac Jones is out, they could still remain active in the AFC. I really don't think that this AFC looks as bad, looks as hard as it kind of looked in the offseason. I mean, you look at the Chargers, Herbert's not healthy. You know, Denver's not hit their stride offensively. The, the Raiders haven't won a game. You know, the Colts are not, a, like, have not played well. You know, you look at some of those teams that were supposed to be really, really good. Look, Buffalo's good. Of course they're good. But, you know, there are, there are parts of other teams that really, they don't look as good as they were kind of made out to be in the offseason. So, I don't expect the Patriots to beat Green Bay, but I think that they can remain competitive. Um, this is going to be a game where they're probably not going to score a lot because Green Bay's defense is one of the best in the league. Um, but I think if the Patriots can protect the quarterback, keep their turnovers down, win the time of possession, they might have a chance to win this game. So it probably is not going to be pretty. Probably not going to be pretty against Green Bay because I think they're looking for kind of a breakout offensive game, but. You know, who knows? Crazy things can happen in the NFL. But um, I think the best thing the Patriots can do is have the locker room, have the guys have faith in Brian Hoyer and just kind of see what it's going to be. But I do think that you've seen the offense make some improvements. And I think that hopefully they can continue to do that. I mean, clearly you are losing a good amount of talent going from Jones to Hoyer. But I do think that based on how the offense has had performed uh, from week to week, there's a reason to expect that maybe they can improve upon what they did last week. You know, if they can keep the turnovers down and Hoyer can make some throws, you know, I'm not super confident in him, but if they, if they don't turn the ball over, I think that they have a solid chance to win this game. Uh, I'd be curious to see if uh, Jacoby Myers, Kyle Duggar return in this game. You know, if the Patriots do get Myers back, I do kind of like that. Um, but I think Hoyer, again, you know, is just average. You know, he's a guy that I think can make all the throws, but I just think that the talent, you're going to kind of see a regression there. So I don't expect this team to beat Green Bay. You know, I do expect the Packers to win. I think they are favored by 10 points, which is pretty, pretty accurate in my opinion. But, you know, who knows? The Patriots could surprise uh, they've always been able to surprise, even no matter what. You know, 
I think if we do think back to that Hoyer game that he played in Kansas City, the Patriots honestly didn't, you know, there were turnovers, obviously, that happened in that game, but I thought the Patriots honestly held their own against Kansas City, so who knows? You could see a game that the Patriots play Green Bay well. You know, it's tough, it's another road game, but, you know, this is a team that's, as much as they are young, they are kind of a vet group, and, you know, hopefully they kind of have the us-against-the-world mentality, and they can pull something off in this game. So, uh, Patriots travel to Green Bay. This is a CBS game on Sunday at 425. So now we're going to move on. We are going to talk about the Celtics, who have had a, uh, not a great uh, last week or so. Um, you know, obviously we got the report late Wednesday night that, uh, well, a leaked report, let's be honest, um, that uh, Ime Udoka facing possible disciplinary action um, for a uh, consensual relationship with a female staff member. That's, you know, not, not the type of news that you wanted to get um, late at night. And, you know, I think that unfortunately um, it is kind of the state of media these days to um, try to be first to report something and, you know, put something out there before you really have all the facts. And I think that um, even at this point, we're, you know, talking on Tuesday, we still don't have all the information. And I think that it's something that people need to be, need to understand that you don't have to know all the information. You know, I think that, look, I'll get into my opinions about the whole situation, but I just think that I feel like our, our media and kind of just the culture of our society right now is we have to know every single thing and every single detail. Um, and I just think that for some reason, there are people in the media that operate that way. And I think that, you know, just because you have the ability to tweet something out and just because you have the ability to, you know, have, you know, sources and, you know, you can tweet something out and say, you know, oh, this is happening. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should and doesn't mean that it's right. And I understand that reporters like Adrian Wojnarowski have to do their job. And they have to report the news. But I also just think, like, this didn't have to be a leak, you know. And I think that it clearly proved to kind of be dangerous and harmful. You know, it was kind of harmful to all the female employees that work for the Celtics that, you know, because of this report, there has to be crazy, wild, you know, excuse my language, but, you know, bullshit rampant rumors that, you know, people throw around on Twitter that, you know, oh, this is the female staff member that it's just like, I, I don't, I don't understand why we need to have this culture that, you know, we have to know everything, you know, we have to speculate. And it's just like, I think the leak did a lot of dangerous things. And, you know, look, did the Celtics respond in a timely manner? Perhaps not. But I also don't really think it's their fault that, you know, something comes out as a leak. And no, the organization 
did not leak this. I think anyone suggesting that is just blatantly wrong. I don't think that there's any evidence to suggest that. And, you know, I don't even need to go into why would they even, why, like, what, what would be the motivation for that? But anyway, you know, it's just a, it's just a terrible situation all the way around. You know, it's just too bad for the Celtics organization. It's too bad for, you know, the female employees or anyone that works for the organization. It's just, it's just terrible that they have to deal with this and, you know, deal with something that really probably it doesn't involve a lot of people in the organization, but it's like they have to hear about this and they have to have, you know, this negative attention on social media and people trying to, you know, I don't know, do whatever, speculate and speculate wildly. And I think that, you know, clearly we don't know a lot. The players don't know a lot. I think that was clear with media day yesterday. Um, and perhaps it's a legal thing and perhaps that they, you know, clearly the Celtics hired um, an outside law firm to do an investigation and, you know, this was ongoing without a lot of us knowing. And, you know, I think it just had happened that the uh, investigation had wrapped up a few days ago. And that's the reason why this leak came out. And, you know, I don't think we know where the leak came from. I can't imagine that it came from the organization. Um, but I'll just be honest, it's, it's disappointing because, you know, I think that Ime Udoka is kind of at fault here. Um, and I think that that's kind of clear, you know, I think that obviously I don't want to dangerously speculate here, um, but I think clearly there's something more going on here than just a consensual relationship, um, you know, and I think that that's why you're seeing the suspension, you know, who knows, maybe there's some type of language in his contract, but I really kind of don't want to get into details because I don't know a lot of details. You know, we all don't know a lot of details, but I do know that it's just, you know, unfortunate that the Celtics organization has to deal with this. And, you know, I kind of think that it's just, they're really kind of struggling with what to say, but I just think that it's, it's too bad that this this happened and I clearly think it clearly is something that you know you may kind of caused unfortunately where it's like this has now become a distraction for the organization it's now become a distraction for the team and it's not something that the team needs to be dealing with you know during during training camp and during you know media day it's just you know we don't really, again, I don't really know all the facts, but it's just disappointing that, you know, he has to have this, or that he, he has put the team in, in the position that they have to suspend him, and it has to be a distraction. Now, I don't know why it's a season-long suspension, and he's not been fired. You know, we can really only guess. You know, perhaps there's you know, something there with a contract or something like that. You know, maybe there's some 
legal thing that we don't know about, who knows. Um, but it is clear that we don't know a lot of the details. The players don't know either. And I think that, look, we might not ever know all the details. And I think that people kind of need to be okay with that and have to be okay with, okay, we don't need to know all the details. You know, the higher-ups, the front office, they probably know all the details, but I don't know why it needs to be, why there need to be more details. You know, I think that for the most part, the Celtics organization handled this situation the best possible way that they could. You can't control leaks. Um, and I think, sure, could the Celtics have responded a little a little quicker? Sure, but it's like they did hold a press conference the next day. So, you know, it's just, or two days later, um, I should say. But, you know, it's just a disappointing situation all the way around. And, um, you know, the Celtics now have to turn to Joe Missoula, who's, you know, a guy that's been in the Celtics uh, coaching organization or in the organization for the last couple of years, you know, an assistant coach under Brad Stevens, an assistant um, under Ime last season. So, you know, he's kind of the guy that is going to be the interim coach going forward. And, you know, I think unfortunately he and the players and the whole organization, they all have to deal with the fallout of this, which is really unfortunate. And it's frustrating that, you know, here's Ime Udhoka did such a great job coaching this team last season. And he now has put this team and this organization in a really awful spot. Um, and it's just, it's too bad that that's what's happened. And it's really disappointing and unfortunate that, you know, there are female members of the Celtics organization that had to get dragged through that social media BS. It's just really unfortunate and it's not right. And, you know, I do think that there's something that does need to change in terms of kind of reporting and journalism, but that's not something that I think I feel comfortable talking about because we have a lot to get to today, but um, it's just a disappointing situation and it's something that, you know, now the organization has to deal with. So, you know, Joe Missoula taking over, you know, we'll see. And I think he's a guy that I think the guys on the team, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, you know, all the guys have talked very highly of him um, and really don't think that there's really much of a change here. You know, and I think that that's the important thing. And sure, it's a lot of pressure for Joe Missoula. You know, he's 34 years old, youngest coach in the NBA. So, you know, that's kind of daunting. But I do think that he's in a good situation with a lot of players that trust him um, and kind of trust the things that he wants to do. I don't think we're necessarily going to see big changes in terms of how the team plays you know be curious to see rotational things um, and things like that so uh, before we go any further i would just like to address that you know clearly joe Missoula was a person that got into trouble uh, when he was in college and was arrested a couple of times for some very serious you know charges i'm sure that you know you can look more into that if you'd like but um, I did think it was important that he was able to answer questions about that um, and about the incidents and kind of be able to say that, okay, you know, here I've made mistakes and, you know, I've done some bad things. I've hurt people, but I do think that, look, people can change. And I think that 
you know, it was a long time ago, and I'm not trying to excuse what he did, because I think what he did is pretty serious, but, you know, I think that it's important that we give people time to be able to, you know, say that, okay, I can change as a person over a long period of time, and I think that it just was important that he was able to answer those questions, and it wasn't something that he would say, oh, like, no comment, or the organization wouldn't let him answer. I think it was important to be able to hear from him that, okay, I've made mistakes, I've done things wrong, and, you know, he can say, you know, I've I've changed as a person. Now, you know, I don't think I want to get any further into it, but I think that, you know, that was something that I think people wanted to, you know, find out more about. And, you know, I think I'm confident in, in Brad Stevens in the front office and all the, you know, people that were in charge of, you know, bringing him on as a coach a couple of years ago and, you know, really kind of trusting them that they trust Joe that, okay, you know, we trust him to be a head coach and, you know, trust that the mistakes that he made all those years ago are just mistakes and it's not indicative of his character or who he is as a person. So, I think kind of going over to kind of the more basketball stuff, you know, there was the report last week that Rob Williams uh, would miss four to six weeks, um, you know, and now after getting another the arthroscopic knee surgery, it's now reported that he's going to miss eight to 12 weeks. So obviously that puts him out for a decent period of time. So uh, it's obviously a tough blow because this is a Celtics team that, is already pretty thin in the front court, you know, obviously with the injury to Gallinari, you know, now without Williams, it puts the Celtics in a situation where, okay, Al Horford's going to have to play a lot more, a lot more than maybe the Celtics would like or initially would have thought. I'm not worried about Al because I think that he keeps himself in great shape. He's a guy that really has the ability to kind of turn back the clock and be able to play it in the old age. Um, but it just is a little concerning that, okay, now you're missing Gallinari, you're missing Rob Williams. And so here's, you know, opportunities for some guys to pick up some minutes. But it's like, you look at this roster, you know, you look at this roster and there's really not a lot of depth. You know, you look at Orford. You look at Horford and you look at Grant Williams, who are the two likely bigs that are going to start, assuming that the Celtics Sorry, assuming that the uh Celtics go with the double big lineup, which they did last year with Horford and Rob Williams. Now they could choose to not do that, you know, with as looking at the kind of depth issues that they have that the Celtics could choose to bring Grant Williams off the bench and start someone like Malcolm Brogdon. Now, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think the Celtics are pretty clear that Malcolm's going to be kind of that sixth man to come off the bench. So you have to assume that Grant Williams, Al Horford will start. But then the real question is, okay, who's your backup big? Are you really going to be trusting Luke Cornett to kind of be that guy? And you know, Luke's a decent player, but I think that you need to have more depth there. So 
I'm curious to see if they sign someone. I really think that they could use someone like a Dwight Howard. Um, I think someone who's been around. He's won a championship. He's a veteran. You know, and he can still play at a solid level. So I'm going to be curious to see if the Celtics look to sign someone like him or DeMarcus Cousins, you know, unless there's someone like uh, Kevin Gelly, for example, that impresses, but he's on a two-way deal. So it's like he can only play a certain amount of games in Boston. So that's going to be curious to see with the bigs, you know, the training camp, training camp battles, I think, to go into kind of our next uh, Celtics topic. Who's going to be that first big off the bench? That's going to kind of be the biggest, the biggest kind of rotational question uh, for me. I also think that, okay, who's going to be that wing player that comes off the bench? Because the Celtics do have, you know, you look at the bench guys, Brogdon, Derek White, Peyton Pritchard, all three of those guys are kind of more ball handlers, and they're not exactly, you know, Peyton Pritchard, I think, at points can be instant offense, but I do think that they need kind of a player that can come in to spell Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum and someone that can easily get 15, 16 points a night. That was kind of the whole purpose of getting someone like Gallinari. And so it's like, okay, the Celtics need to find someone else that can do that. Is it Sam Hauser? Is it someone like Jake Lehman, who's now on the uh, practice or, uh training camp roster does he impress enough that you know he can get some minutes Justin Jackson's another name um and then I think the Celtics also uh picked up Luka Shamanchik um who used to play for the Spurs um he's got decent size and I think he's another guy that maybe you see him playing a little bit um on the wing. So I think there are a lot of questions, you know, in those two particular areas. Uh, Noah Vonley is also another player the Celtics uh, have brought in on like a training camp contract. And so he's another guy that could potentially get, you know, minutes in terms of being a big, you know, he's 6'10". He's a guy that's bounced around a lot in the NBA. The last year that he played significant minutes was with the Knicks three or four years ago. And so I think okay, what does he have? Can he be someone that could be someone that makes an impact and maybe he can be one of those bigs that comes off the bench? But I do think that it's who's going to be that third big, who's going to be the first big that comes off the bench for this team, and then who's going to be that wing, like, scorer player? You know, who is that going to be? And so I think it's a huge opportunity for Sam Hauser. We've said this for the last couple of weeks, you know, really ever since Gallinari's injury. So... He's a guy that needs to step up. I think that if the Celtics don't see enough from him, maybe they go out and sign a Carmelo Anthony because they think the Celtics need someone who can be instant offense off the bench at that wing position. Um, so that's going to be curious to see. You know, training camp uh, starting today, the Celtics do have their first uh, preseason game on Sunday against the Charlotte Hornets. That is a one o'clock start. So. You can watch some of that and then shift over to uh, the Patriots game. So um, I think that clearly this is a Celtics team that is dealing with a lot right now and a lot of stuff that, you know, frankly, they shouldn't have to deal with. Um, unfortunately, it's just kind of the 
the nature of being a professional athlete. Sometimes there are things like this that come up, but I think that this is a group that I think believes in each other um, and they believe in the coach, they believe in the staff. And, you know, I think that they have the ability to be able to move on from this and be like, okay, this happened, this is unfortunate, but, you know, it doesn't have to define our season, you know, and I think that players have to be able to be professional enough to be able to move on. And look, it's, it's hard. You know, I think that we do have to understand as much as it kind of seems like Ime Udoka is kind of the person to blame in this and all this, we do have to understand that the players don't know much more than we do. And I think that clearly when you've seen, when you've seen some of the quotes that, you know, Marcus Smart or whoever said whatever whatever he said yesterday about, you know, he still loves Ime as a person and coach. I think that there's there doesn't have to be anything wrong with that. You know, I think clearly they don't know the specifics. And so clearly, you know, they still have feelings for a coach that was was really good to them last year and, you know, made this team into a much better team than really the direction they were going in. And so I think clearly there are going to be some guys that still, you know, have attachment to Ime and are still going to, I don't want to say defend him, but be like, okay, that that's my guy. And, you know, clearly if there's more information that comes out and perhaps it's a lot worse than what is being led on, I guess, um, then perhaps it might be easy for players to kind of distance themselves. But I think at the moment, they don't really have a lot of information. I think that, you know, it's it's kind of wild to, you know, blame the players for having that sort of viewpoint, you know. And I think it doesn't really matter because I think they're going to be able to move on. They're professionals and they you know, respect Joe Missoula and they're going to want to go to war for him. And, you know, I think that this is a team and this is an organization that can be able to move on. But I think clearly there's been a lot of damage done to the organization. I think that if the players can move on and recognize that, okay, you know, this is something that happened, but we have basketball to play, you know, then I think the team is going to be fine. You know, I think that hearing from some of the guys at media day yesterday, you know, kind of made me have kind of a sense of relief that, okay, this is still going to be a very good basketball team, even if there's a new coach and a coach that's young and inexperienced. This is still a very good team, and this is still going to be a team that's going to challenge for the number one seed in the East and, you know, be a team that might go back to the finals. I think that the Celtics should be able to hold their own without Rob Williams for a period of time. And then when he comes back, be comfortable enough. So um, I think that's going to be it for me on the Celtics. Uh, looking forward to talking with our uh, Celtics guest later this week on Guest Friday. So make sure you are looking out for that. So now we're going to get to the Bruins, talk a little puck with the Bruins preseason finally underway. Bruins had their first uh, preseason game on Saturday against the Flyers. 
Bruins lose two to one, but there were definitely some definitely some bright bright spots in this game for the Bruins. Um, Jakob Zaboral, uh, clearly a lot's going to be asked of him. You know, Evan and I talked about him a bit last week on Guest Friday um, that this is a huge opportunity for him uh, to be able to get minutes with the Bruins a little bit depleted in terms of the defense. So um, he's a guy that played a lot of minutes on Saturday and looked really good. He's a guy that I think it just looks comfortable. It's it's so funny that it's like you think about how ACL injuries uh, were treated, you know, even 10 years ago. You know, I feel like it's crazy how medical science has advanced so much where it's like, a player like Jakob Zaboro, who tore his ACL last year, can come right back in and look like he's not even missed a beat and look like look like perhaps even better, you know. And I know that it's a preseason game and, you know, it's not really a full, you know, full-go NHL game, but I do think that seeing him playing and looking comfortable, it really could be huge for the Bruins because he's a guy that I think has the ability to possibly play top pair minutes with a Hampus Lindholm if the Bruins need it. You know, he can absolutely be a top four defenseman. And I'm curious to see with now Anton Strahlman in the mix, we'll talk about him shortly. Could Zaboral and Brandon Carlo be a potential defensive pair on that second line or uh, be like a second defensive pair? But I thought he looked really, really good in Philly. Uh, Fabian Lysel, Johnny Beecher, had a good amount of ice time in this game, too. They got a lot of uh, power play opportunities, which I think is great. Uh, the Bruins, I think, are really high on both of these guys. They, they could both both make an impact at the NHL level as early as early as this season. You know, Beecher, I think, has more of an opportunity, just considering that he's kind of more of a third, fourth-line guy, and, you know, chances are he has a legitimate opportunity to get a roster spot myself maybe isn't as likely because they think that for him to succeed, he has to play kind of a top two line role, whether he's playing first line or second line, perhaps third line. If the Bruins think that Lysel has, you know, done well enough in preseason that he could take Craig Smith's spot on the third line, I don't think that that's going to happen. But I think it's just good to see them getting opportunities, getting power play chances and, really getting a chance to showcase that, okay, we're guys that can absolutely push for roster spots. So uh, that was good to see. A couple of other things, Uh, Keith Kincaid, Bruins uh, free agent signing this summer, uh, played in net, looked pretty solid. Kyle Kaiser um, also played a little bit. You'll see him play in Providence this season. A couple of other notes. Um, A.J. Greer and Connor Carrick, two other uh, free agent additions this offseason, uh, got into a couple of fights. Uh, Connor Carrick had a big hit um, at one point in the first period, so good to see them getting involved. A.J. Greer is a guy that could potentially get an opportunity on the fourth line at some point, um, and Carrick, I think, is a guy that the Bruins could absolutely use if there are injuries He's a guy that has been around, has played a little bit in the NHL, about 250 games. So, you know, I think that's going to be kind of good to pay attention to. Uh, 
both of those guys, um, if they could potentially get some games here and there, you know, if there are injuries. So the Bruins do have another preseason game tonight at the Garden. Bruins will take on the New York Rangers at 7 o'clock. Bruins have uh, released the roster for uh, tonight's game. So some of the some of the familiar names you guys might know, uh, Charlie Coyle, Trent Frederick, Craig Smith, um, Oscar Steen, Jack Stadnika, uh, Mark McLaughlin. I played really well in his uh, short sample size for the Bruins last season. Um, Georgi Merkulov is going to make his Bruins debut as a college free agent. The Bruins signed this offseason. Um, A.J. Greer, who we just talked about, um, he will be um, on the roster. Jack Stednika as well. So they've released the roster. We don't know what the lines are going to look like tonight, but you have to imagine that, you know, Smith, Frederick, uh, Coyle, you have to imagine those guys are playing. Uh, Mark McLaughlin probably will play. A.J. Greer probably. Jack Stednika. Um, and then as far as the defensemen, a couple of names you recognize. Uh, Brandon Carlo, Hampus Lindholm, Mike Riley, and Anton Strahlman. So uh, Connor Carrick also playing. Um, so the Bruins getting a couple more regulars into the lineup. It'll be good to see Hampus Lindholm playing in a preseason game. Preseason game. The goalies, uh, Brandon Bussey, Kyle Kaiser, and Jeremy Swayman. So you could see Jeremy Swayman make... Um, an appearance in tonight's game. So it'd be good to see someone like Charlie Coyle. Uh, you have to imagine Coyle, Smith, and Frederick are going to be your third line to open the season. So it'd be good to see them get an opportunity. Curious about Merkulov. Uh, Matthew Poitra is also on this roster. Um, he was the Bruins' first pick in this past year's draft. So I'd be curious to see if he gets into the game. Um, obviously, there could be a couple of scratches that maybe end up not playing, but it'd be curious to see if he plays. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you just want to see continued growth from some of the guys that, you know, kind of need to impress. So someone like Jack Stitniga, um, and AJ Greer, you know, a couple of guys that I think are really battling for, for spots. Um, so I think that that's important for both of those guys. You know, I think in terms of the defense, it's probably good to get Brandon Carlo, Hampus Lindholm some games. Um, you know, you probably see the regulars play two, maybe three games in the preseason. You know, the Bruins kind of tend to split up the groups in games, so it's not you know all the regulars playing in one game. However, you probably see all the regulars playing in one of these games. Might be the last preseason game, um, but I think clearly you look at some guys like. You know, Krejci, Pasternak, Bergeron, you know, your most important guys probably don't need to play more than three games, you know, but it'll be curious to see. But I do think the Bruins do want to give opportunities to some of these young fringe roster guys that I think really do need to make the roster if they're going to, you know, make a make a uh, impact um, on the Bruins this season. So you may have noticed that uh, the Bruins have signed um, Anton Strahlman to a professional tryout contract. I'm unclear about how much time that a player needs to be on a professional contract before a team has to make a decision on a real contract. Um, so these contracts are typically given out during training camp, gives players that 
our free agents an opportunity to kind of try out and see, you know, if it's a team that they want to potentially play for. You know, obviously the player and the team have to come to an agreement um, on a real contract, but I really like this. You know, Strawman's a guy that's bounced around. He's been in the league forever. Um, he's played for a number of different teams, including the uh, Rangers, the Lightning, and the Florida Panthers. Played last year in Arizona, played 74 games, had eight goals, 15 assists, and 23 points. So, you know, he's a guy that is just very experienced and gives the Bruins another right shot defenseman that I think they really needed depth at. So I have to think that the Bruins are going to sign him because they think that they are pretty thin on the right side as is, you know, without McAvoy. So, you know, and he's a guy that I think can play in a bunch of different situations. And I think, you know, he's a guy that has always been known as a player that has the ability to produce offense um, and not scoring a lot of goals. You know, he's never scored more than nine goals in a season, but he's a guy that can create a lot of rebounds. He can, you know, do a good job of kind of jumping up into the play and being kind of another player that can produce. And I think the Bruins are looking for a defenseman that can get more involved offensively. So I think it's a great look. You know, you could see him playing with Hampus Lindholm on the top pair tonight. I think that it would be huge for the Bruins. You know, if he can come in and play top top pair minutes, I mean, that would be huge for this Bruins team. Um, I think that if they can get him signed to a contract, there's a very good chance that you see someone like Mike Riley be traded or possibly Derek Forbert. I mean, I would prefer that they trade Riley. I think that Forbert's a pretty valuable penalty killer. Um, but I think if they do sign Strawman, it gives them a lot of a lot of a lot of options. You know, Strawman's a guy that's been around. He's played in a lot of playoff games. He's been to the Cup two times. You know, he's a guy that's very experienced, and you know what you're going to get. He's not going to blow you away, but I think he gives you a lot of really solid minutes. And he's a guy that is going to be playing for a far better defensive team and a far better goaltending team than there than Arizona. And so I think that if you look at last year and you look at maybe some of the bad numbers, I think a lot of it had to do with the defense and the goaltending in Arizona and, the, and not necessarily his game. And I think if the Bruins can, you know, shelter him, playing him with someone like Lindholm, it could be really, really huge. Um, and I think that even having him around when McAvoy and Grizzly come back, would be huge as well. So I really like this, you know, clearly the other um, kind of big news with the Bruins, uh, the retirement of uh, Zidane Chara, who announced it uh, last week. Evan and I talked about it briefly um, on Guest Friday last week. So um, just a tremendous career for Z and, you know, someone that I think me personally has affected me in terms of being a hockey fan. You know, the Bruins were... You know, always a team that I liked growing up, you know, and I think that I always liked them, but I didn't love them. And I think that that all changed when Chara came to the team and, you know, really instilled a culture and a culture of holding everyone accountable and a culture of winning. And I think just the culture that has 
remained with this Bruins organization for so long. And I think that a lot of us kind of take that for granted um, and take kind of this locker room culture for granted that I think you have guys that have been here for so long and they demand a lot of each other, but they demand, they demand a lot of themselves. And I think that that's due to Zidane Chara and due to the culture that he brought when he came over from Ottawa. And I think that, you know, yeah, would you like to see the Bruins win more than one Stanley Cup when he was here? You know, sure. But I think just remembering his legacy and kind of the carrying on of the great defensive, the great defenseman in Bruins history, um, you know, carrying that torch and, you know, being someone that was able to hold everyone accountable, but also in the same way, being willing to work with a lot of younger defensemen. You think about when he worked with Brandon Carlo, when he first came in, you know, working with Charlie McAvoy. And I think that, you know, being able to work with someone like Chara really helped both of those guys along. And I think that the Bruins organization owes a lot to him. And, you know, he means a lot to the city. He means a lot to the organization. And, um, it was announced this morning that the Bruins will honor him on October 22nd with a, a pregame ceremony. So that will be very exciting. You don't want to miss that. Um, if you can't go to the game, definitely watch it because I think that's going to be that's going to be really special, you know. And then obviously, whenever his uh, jersey gets retired, which is definitely happening at some point, so that will be uh, really exciting. But you know, Chara means a lot to me. Means a lot to so many Bruins fans and. Just to see him, just to see the appreciation that all the players that showed up had for him just was really special. And it, you know, shows me that, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people that, a lot of people that he's interacted with and he's played against and, you know, just amazing that he played as long as he did and, you know, found ways to be effective even when, the speed maybe wasn't there, you know, and that was something that Evan and I talked about last week. So um, happy trails to Z and hopefully can spend more time with his family and uh, would love to see him uh, involved in the sport um, at some point later in his life. Um, you know, I think he made it clear that he does want to spend time with, the fam with family, but um, it would be great to see him back in hockey at some point. Um, so I think that's probably going to do it for the Bruins. Obviously, preseason game tonight on Nesson Plus, if you're interested in that. I know I will definitely be watching. Um, moving over to the Red Sox. The Red Sox continue to, uh, unfortunately, lose a lot of games. The team that's uh, lost six in a row at the moment. The Red Sox are 72-81. and 81. There's nine games left in the season, so, you know, I think that clearly on one hand, the season can't end soon enough uh, for some of us uh, that have had to kind of suffer through the last couple of months of the season. And, you know, as I've said plenty of times before, it is what it is, and this is what the team's going through, and, you know, you hope that the young young guys can continue to get opportunities and continue to kind of kind of get acclimated to Major League Baseball. I think that that's important. Um, but I think that clearly 
look, this is an organization that has gone through a lot of seasons like this. You know, I think that over the last, you know, 10 years, if you want to go through it, they've had plenty of bad seasons. You know, 2012, 2014, 2015, you know, 2020. <clears throat> you know, this is an organization that has gone through some bad seasons. And I think, you know, look, it is what it is. Baseball is a sport where I think it's, it's very easy that you can fall into kind of this middle ground. Um, but I do think that this is a team that has an opportunity this offseason to really get a lot better. You know, there needs to be a huge facelift in the bullpen. The Red Sox do absolutely need to address, you know, where power is going to come from, where the home run is going to come from with J.D. Martinez likely not coming back. Um, you know, what do they do with Bogarts? Do they sign Rafael Devers? You know, there's a lot of things that need to improve. You know, what does the rotation look like with someone like Chris Sale or the Red Sox? Are, are they going to re-sign Nathan Evaldi? You know, I think that, unfortunately, you know, you've had a lot of injuries this season. I think that that has a lot to do with where the Red Sox are right now. But I think also you didn't get the good enough power that you got the season before. You know, the bullpen... Had a lot has had a lot of trouble this year. Even recently, they can't hold on to any leads. So, you know, I think that there needs to be a huge change. Um, but I think that if the Red Sox can correct some of these issues, there's no reason that they can't be a competitive team as early as next season. Um, I think that you know you've seen them continue to play close games against the Yankees, and I think that that tells you that. <clears throat> This team really isn't that far off. I know that they lost all four games to the Yankees, but they've played the Yankees well this season, and it seems like they kind of have played them well for a decent period of time. So that could tell you that if the Red Sox make the correct moves, that they might be just fine, you know. But I think that it's a huge if because they really have to get, they have to nail a lot of moves, especially with the bullpen. You know, do they sign another bat? Do they sign two bats? Do they sign another starting pitcher? You know, that's going to be really interesting to kind of pay attention to. But <clears throat> I think that the offseason can absolutely um, correct some of these issues. But I think that they have to be aggressive um, and urgent about these things. Um, I mentioned that it's a good period of time for the young guys to get opportunities to play. You know, Tristan Cassis is kind of the one player that I've kind of kind of had my eye on, to be honest. And um, he's playing a lot, which is great. He's maybe not producing a lot of great numbers. You know, he's only hitting 135, but he has hit four home runs and he's four home runs, eight RBIs. Um, and he's playing a lot, which I think is kind of the main thing that you want to see with him. Um, and I don't think there really have to be any major concerns for the numbers that he's putting up. I mean, I think that getting an opportunity to play against big league pitching for the first time is really important. And getting, you know, that time at the big league level, I think that he's going to be fine. You know, there have been plenty of players the Red Sox have called up at the end of seasons that haven't performed well. You know, Dustin Pedroia is kind of the first guy that I look at that he did not produce well um, when he came up in 2006 at the end of the season. Um, 
So I don't think it's anything to be concerned about. I think that Cassis is a guy that has a lot of great power um, and I think could do very well with um, the wall at Fenway. You know, if he gets an opportunity to play first base every season, uh, every every day next year, which I think should happen. Um, I think um, it's going to be a good opportunity for him in spring training and see what he can do um, in a full-time spot. But I'll tell you, if he can figure it out offensively next year, the Red Sox could have a very, very scary infield. Um, if you think about Cassis, Story, Bogarts, and Devers, um, you know, I think that's kind of the next part that um, is something that I wanted to talk about, that if the Red Sox can find a way to keep Bogarts and keep Devers, that's a dangerous infield right there with what they what they could do offensively. You think about Cassis, you think about Story, who has had a good season other than being hurt all the time, which is a little bit concerning, but I think um, I think that it should return if he's fully healthy, can have a normal offseason, um, but I do think that Bogarts does need to come back. They do need to get him back because I think he and Story have developed a good a good rapport, I think, um, and especially being a great double play combination. Story's been unbelievable in the field, and I do think that keeping him at second base might actually be better for the Red Sox if they can keep both him and Bogarts on the team and in the lineup. And then, yeah, Devers, and you have Cassis. It's like you have four guys right there that you don't need to be concerned about offensively if they play the way that they should. And then it's like, okay, what do you do at catcher? Reese McGuire has played really, really well since coming over. But I do think that there is a lot of positives that a lot of reasons that you should keep Bogarts. And I think that there are more positives than there are negatives. Um, and I think that hopefully the Red Sox can understand that as well. And they can bring him back and, you know, be willing to spend a little bit of money for him because he's an important player. He's an important player for the team, for the organization. And I think that if Bloom really wants to give this Red Sox team a chance to compete next year, you start by bringing him back. You start by signing Rafael Devers long-term so you can keep both of those guys here and you can keep Story here and you can, you can, you know, continue to see good development from Cassis. You can look at the outfield. You can maybe make a big splash, sign an outfielder, you know, keep Kike Hernandez. You keep Alex Verdugo. Who knows? You could trade Verdugo. You know, I think that, this is a team that I think that they do have a chance, but they or do do have a chance next year, but they do need to be smart about the additions that they make. Um, and also they need to re-sign their own guys. I think that for the longest time, I kind of was on the fence for Bogarts, but I think that you look at the potential infield that they could have next year. I don't think that you want to pass up on that. So I think that that would be a very clear, smart thing for the Red Sox to do. You know, who knows? The Red Sox could feel that there's a better shortstop out there. You know, I don't really know about that, if we're being honest. But I think that it's something that you have to consider. That do the Red Sox consider finding someone else that can do Bogart's job better? You know, who knows? But I'd rather just keep him, Endeavors, and Story in the mix 
and you call up Cassis and you know you go out and sign a designated or go out and sign a right fielder that can hit for power um, and this team this team should be back so looking at the rest of this for this uh, rest of the season for the Red Sox um, obviously lost to Baltimore last night 14 to 8 Connor Seabald had another tough start you know I kind of hope that he can be a little bit better if he can if he has to start another game uh, the Red Sox continue the four game set with Baltimore tonight at 7:10 Michael Walker pitching he's a guy that I would love to see the Red Sox bring back he's been easily their best pitcher this season so the Red Sox three game set in Baltimore then they will travel to Toronto for a three game set this weekend and then they will close the season with three games against Tampa Bay at Fenway next week so that's probably going to be it for the Red Sox we're going to move on talk a little bit about the NFL that uh, week three wrapped up last night with um, a pretty entertaining game if we're being honest between the uh, Giants and the Cowboys Cowboys win 23 to 16 I really thought the Giants played really good in this game um, unfortunately Cowboys come up with a couple um, of big plays late CeeDee Lamb had an unbelievable touchdown catch in the fourth quarter so Cowboys win 23 16 you know, this is a Dallas team that still looks pretty good, even with Cooper Rush. I'm pretty surprised that um, he has played as well as he has with Dak Prescott out. Um, but good win for the Cowboys. I think that if the Cowboys can play like this and they can get good quality games from Cooper Rush until Dak Prescott returns, them and the Eagles are going to be going at it all season, and that's going to be really fun to watch. Um and the Giants, you know, aren't half bad either. Saquon Barkley, I think, is finally healthy and finally doing things that you would expect him to do. That was an amazing touchdown run uh, that he had last night. That was vintage Saquon Barkley. It reminded me of, you know, him at Penn State, but that was great. It's good to see that he's performing well. You know, see what the Giants do the rest of the season. But a very entertaining game, Monday Night Football. Was a lot better than Sunday night football. The Broncos winning a uh, defensive struggle, 11 to 10. A good defensive performance from Denver. You know, they're a team that really have not played good football all season, but they've won two of their first three games. So the defense is working. Russell Wilson and the offense really isn't. But, you know, I'm curious about the 49ers going forward with. Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, I think going up against a Broncos defense that's one of the best in the league, you know, I think that it's to be expected that maybe they go through some growing pains, but um, the 49ers, I still think are going to be a good quality team, but the Broncos are finding ways to win. So, you know, I think at some point the offense will figure it out, but I think that uh, it kind of needs to happen fast because... I think you kind of want to see your team get into a rhythm, but winning winning games does kind of solve things. So Broncos win eleven to ten. Green Bay beating the Buccaneers fourteen to twelve in a uh, a slugfest. Packers win with the uh, Buccaneers missing 
a couple of key players, but, um, you know, Green Bay with a good first half and, you know, held on to beat the Buccaneers, but this is an offense that I think, I still think is trying to find itself. And so I think the Patriots, you know, could be able to play a good defensive game um, against Green Bay this week. So I'm curious to see what happens there, but the Packers get the win. Uh, the Falcons hang on to beat the Seahawks 27-23. Uh, Geno Smith with another good game for Seattle. Um, but the Falcons get their first win of the season. Uh, the Rams with a solid defensive performance beating the Cardinals 20-12. The uh, Jaguars beating the Chargers who somehow had Justin Herbert healthy enough to play. Uh, but the Jags stomped on the Chargers 38-10. to um, And this is the first time the Jags have looked really, really good. I mean, honestly, they've looked like a solid team all season. Um, getting that win against the Colts, a win against the Chargers, you know, two teams that could easily be playoff teams. Um, so a good win for them. The Panthers beat the Saints 22-14. to The Saints continuing to have some issues on offense as they scored their 14 points in the fourth quarter. The Eagles beat the Commanders 24-8. The Eagles look really good. They look like the best team in the league right now. Um, Jalen Hurts has been excellent. Devontae Smith, Miles Sanders, A.J. Brown. You know, they have a lot of good players on offense. However, I don't think that doing well in September necessarily means that you're going to be going to the Super Bowl. So I think that yeah, the Eagles are playing great football now, but, you know, it matters playing your best in January. So, you know, but I do think that the Eagles do have a lot of talent, and I think I think start to finish, they've been the best team in the league so far. Uh, curious if that continues, but I'm excited uh, for the that division the rest of the season. Uh, the Bengals beat the Jets 27-12. to Bengals get their first win. Uh, Vikings beat the Lions 28-24, to a big comeback for the Vikings in the fourth quarter, so they get their second win. And then the Dolphins beating the Bills 21-19, to a lot of, uh, a lot of thoughts coming out uh, of that game, with the Dolphins remaining the uh, only undefeated team in the AFC, so they come away with the win. Uh, the Colts beat the Chiefs 20-17, to uh, Colts get their first win of the season. Uh, Titans outlasting the Raiders, who uh, could not get a two-point conversion to tie the game. So the Raiders dropped to 0-3, which is just interesting considering all the talk that was going on with how, you know, how much better they're going to be with Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones. And you heard a lot of stuff being said about them, but they're not winning any games, so... You know, I just will say that, okay, just because you have a great, just because you have a great offseason, it doesn't translate on the field. That's what I was trying to say the entire offseason when the Patriots weren't, you know, oh, the Patriots aren't spending money. Like, is spending money in the offseason, what does that do? What does that, like, what does that get you? Well, it gets you the Raiders at 0-3. It gets you the Chargers at 1-2. and Two of the teams that made the best moves in the offseason or one and five to start the season, so that's interesting. <laughs> Bears beat the Texans twenty-three to twenty. Bears get their second win. 
So they've had a couple of wins early on this season. Uh, the Bears are looking like they might be, they might kind of be a scrappy team. Uh, Browns winning on Thursday night football, 29-17. Browns with a couple of big games from Nick Chubb and Amari Cooper. So the Browns improved to 2-1. and one. Week 4 will start with the Dolphins and the Bengals. They will play on Thursday night. That will be a pretty, pretty interesting game there. Um, and then, as we said, obviously, Patriots against the Packers Sunday at 425. So definitely make sure to tune into that. You can watch the uh, Celtics, then the Patriots. <laughs> um, so I think we're going to move on. We're going to take a look at some college football. Take a look at the rankings. The top five stayed exactly the same. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, and Clemson. Taking a look at some teams that rose in the rankings. You had Texas A&M rising up from 23-17 to 17 after their win against uh, Arkansas couple of teams into the top 25 for the first time this season. Minnesota at 21, Florida State at 23, Kansas State at 25 after their upset win against Oklahoma. So Oklahoma actually was the biggest faller in the poll. They fell from 6 to 18, Arkansas falling from 20 or falling from 10 to 20. Um, and then Tennessee into the top 10, NC State into the top 10 for the first time in a while. So interesting stuff there. Um, probably the best game of the weekend was uh, Clemson against Wake Forest. Clemson winning in uh, double overtime. That was a great game. Uh, Texas Tech beating Texas in overtime. Uh, Tennessee outlasting Florida 38 to 33. So a couple of uh, good games. And then obviously uh, Texas A&M and um, Arkansas in one of the wildest finishes I've ever seen. Um, Arkansas lining up for the go-ahead field goal, and the field goal kicker hits the top of the upright. Um, I don't believe I've ever seen that watching football. So uh, Texas A&M gets the two-point win, and they jumped up, jumped up to 17th in the polls. So some games going on this weekend. Take a look at some ranked games. 7th-ranked Kentucky against 14th-ranked Ole Miss. Both of those teams will play at 12 o'clock on Saturday. 2nd-ranked uh, Alabama and 20th-ranked Arkansas Saturday at 3.30. Also at 3.30, 9th-ranked Oklahoma State against 16th-ranked Baylor. Another 3.30 game, 22nd Wake Forest against 23rd uh, Florida State. Um, and then there is a good night, night game as well. 10th-ranked uh, NC State against 5th-ranked Clemson. So you got plenty of good games um, on Saturday. Unfortunately, a, a good amount of them at the same time. So you can make a decision as to which one you want to watch. But uh, it'll be a good, good Saturday for college football. So now we're going to take a look at Major League Baseball. Just some notes. We'll take a look at the standings. Aaron Judge still stuck on 60 home runs. So... The watch is on for him to potentially uh, break the American League record for home runs in this season. The record is 61, so we're still waiting for him to 
tie the record and then hopefully break the record. Um, Don Mattingly is not expected to return as Marlins manager for 2023, um, and Canada has dropped their uh, vaccine mandate for athletes and visitors, so players can uh, participate in games uh, over the border starting October 1st. Also, on Friday, Albert Pujols became the fourth player all-time to hit 700 home runs, so a pretty amazing accomplishment for him. Uh, one of the best players, probably the best player of his generation, um, with 700 home runs, probably one of my one of my favorite baseball players of all time. Um, I was actually lucky enough to uh, be in D.C. when he was with the Angels, and he hit his 499th and 500th home run. I had no idea at the time. You know, it was funny. There were, you know, players coming onto the field after the home run, and I didn't know what was going on. And then I, you know, realized, oh, he must have hit a milestone home run. So uh, really, you know, big congratulations to Albert, you know, one of the one of the best baseball players, but also just a great person as well. Uh, really just a tremendous ambassador for the game. You know, I think that I think about guys like him and and Big Poppy, you know, obviously have done so much for players from the players from the Dominican Republic. Um, so, you know, really exciting accomplishment uh, for Albert, who is still or in his second tour of duty with the Cardinals. You will see the Cardinals in the postseason, so that'll be exciting. Uh, it's possibly his last season of baseball. Um, and now we're going to take a look at the standings with about a week to go. The American League East, the Yankees, have clinched. Yankees have clinched a playoff berth, I should say, but I think that they win one more game and they win the division. So their division leads seven and a half games over Toronto. Cleveland has clinched the American League Central for the first time since 2018. They started to get some um, distance between them and Chicago and the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Houston clinched their division last week. Um, if you look at the National League, um, the National League divisions, uh, the Mets with a one-game lead. They and the Braves have clinched a playoff spot. Uh, the Cardinals a six and a half game lead over Milwaukee. The Dodgers have clinched playoff berth, their division, and the league's best record. Um, so now taking a look at the wild card standings: Toronto, Tampa Bay, and Seattle with the with the top three uh, wild card records. Baltimore three and a half games back, so they really have to hope and pray for something crazy with about uh, a week to go for them. So be curious to see if they make any ground on Seattle or Tampa Bay. In the National League, Atlanta leads the first wild card spot. So pretty much one of the Braves or the Mets will win the National League East, and then the other team will uh, be the top wild card. San Diego and Philadelphia are the next two wild cards. Milwaukee is a game and a half behind Philadelphia, so things could get very interesting in the National League. Um, so I think we're going to move on, get to some NHL notes. Preseason games kicked off on Saturday. Bruins played Philadelphia, so some preseason games have happened. Um, 
Brock, Brock Besser likely, likely out to start the season for the Vancouver Canucks as he had surgery on a hand. Um, Gabriel Landeskog, Landeskog is expected to miss the start of the season for Colorado. Um, and the season starts October 11th. Bruins play the next night in Washington, so that's their first game. Um, and then not really much NBA notes, you know, as training camp gets started. Uh, there are obviously preseason games this weekend. As I said, the Celtics are playing um, on Sunday against Charlotte. That's their first game. So you can watch that on NBC Sports Boston and uh, NBA TV. Uh, before we let you guys go, I want to give you an update on uh, U.S. men's national team as they've had they've had one game uh, friendly against uh, Japan last week. Unfortunately, they lost a two to nothing, a game that they really didn't look good in. Um, you know, it was not the best performance. Team USA does have the ability to uh, bounce back today as they play Saudi Arabia um, at two o'clock today. That game will be in Spain. So this is Team USA's final game before the pre before the uh, World Cup November 21st um, or November 21st is their first game I think the World Cup starts the day before but um, yeah last time you'll be able to see Team USA you know possibly address rehearsal for the World Cup you never know but uh, hopefully we see a better performance from them this afternoon so I think that that's probably going to do it you know uh, looking forward to Kissed Friday this week we'll be talking Celtics as their season kicks up. So I think, um, yeah, everyone have a great rest of your day, have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you on Friday.